All right, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Everybody okay? Man, y'all quiet bunch tonight. Hey, thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you've tuned in as we get into our Bible study. Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer. Uh, we want to, first of all, say thank you, Jesus, for the rain, those that got rain. Even if it was two or three drops, uh, we had a we had a good, good cool down yesterday and today and very thankful for that, but we need tons more. Um, but how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Again, we continue to have lots and lots of needs. Um, we want to continue praying for rain, that uh, God would just send a deluge that would saturate our parts land and then also send a spiritual deluge that would saturate parts souls. Um, say a prayer for me. I uh, run have some tests next week. I was in the ER on, on Monday uh, for several hours, uh, drove myself to the ER downtown Fort Worth, just uh, had something. Uh, I, I make fun of the Miley Cyrus song, said it came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> and uh, uh, so just uh, I'll, I'll go next week and try to get some answers, but uh, uh, pray for, uh, just say a prayer for me. We've got a lot of things going on over the next couple of months, so it's going to be busy time. Aren't you glad that we have an anchor that holds, though, uh, through it all and in everything? So uh, let's pray for those that are get the school teachers as they, uh, we did our work day today, and, and uh, pray for our school teachers and our staff and our kids that are getting ready to go back. Uh, just uh, uh, listen, we, we want to have a safe and effective year for our students. And let's just pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, we thank you for the rain. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, uh, Lord, just nourishing the ground. And, uh, Lord, I just uh, pray that what we see in the natural that you do in the, in, the, in the spirit realm, Lord, that you would just, again, pour out your spirit, uh, send the latter rain that would just saturate dry and thirsty souls. And I thank you that we can come on this Wednesday night, and that we can study your word and just join together. I pray for those that have tuned in online tonight. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, no matter what the need is, Lord, there are many hands went up all across this building tonight. There are those that need healing tonight. There are those that need some comfort, those that need strength. Uh, Lord, there are those that need guidance tonight. God, I thank you that no matter what our need is and what our situation is, uh, Lord, that you're on, you're on it. Uh, Lord, I thank you that even before things come into our life, you already know what you're going to do. And so, Father, we rest in that comfort. We, uh, Lord, we take uh, solace in knowing that you never leave nor forsake us, but walk with us through the deep, dark valleys of life. Lord, we pray for all the ministries that are taking place tonight across the campus. Lord, that in each and every one that you would be exalted and lifted high. Father, we pray that, uh, uh, Lord, that you would just touch our, our, our city, our county, our state, our nation. Uh, Lord, we pray for, again, rain, physical rain. We pray for spiritual rain, and we pray for revival from border to border, from coast to coast. Lord, may uh, your name be lifted high. You said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all, all men unto me. Lord, may we do that. Lift up the name of Jesus that's above every name. Lord, be with us in our time of study tonight. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to now. Thank you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. May be seated. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to start a new series for a couple of weeks, uh, but uh, while you're turning there, just a couple things. Uh, first of all, thank you to those. We had a good team that came out today. We were at Cook's Elementary School, our Cook Elementary School, uh, doing a work day, uh, and I probably walk, walked about six miles, I think, around the school. Uh, if you've ever been to Cook's School, there's no easy way to get around. You walk out one door, you're locked. And then you got to walk a block or two to get back in. No, it, it, was, it was good. We had a good day. I think we made a good impression. We served the, the school well, and so thank you for that. Uh, also, with that in mind, tomorrow is our, our regular food distribution day. So we are going to be at the Yellow Jacket Stadium on Henderson uh, in the morning. Uh, use all the volunteers we can get. This is a great this will be the last one for families to come out as a family unit. We've had a couple that have done that uh, during the summer, but uh, this will be the last one as school starts next week. So uh, be here at 9.30 to load up or at the Yellow Jacket Stadium at 10. Uh, we have food for 200 families, and we look forward to continue to serve uh, in that capacity here in our community. Uh, Sunday, we get right back into our summer series. We've been doing a series on hot topics for hot times this week we'll resume our, our, our series and uh, see what the scriptures say about some of the hot-button issues that we're dealing with today. Uh, tonight we're going to, again, as I said, I'm not going to really launch into a series 
for a couple of weeks. Um, but I, 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 So I'm going to be hitting some individual topics that I think are kind of germane to where we are today that are very important to us. And so tonight's lesson is, uh, where is the evidence? Where is the evidence? Uh, so Acts chapter 4, uh, just one verse of Scripture, verse number 13 Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Think about that. Let me read that again. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, as we get right into this, I, how many of you have ever heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman? If you've ever listened to any Christian, uh, contemporary Christian music, I mean, he's just kind of an icon of contemporary Christian music. But uh, years ago, he, he sang a song entitled The Change. And here's some, here's some of the lyrics of that song. Uh, and I quote these lyrics. says, well, I've got myself a T-shirt that says what I believe. See, I need to read it, not sing it, because, uh, you know, there's only one Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> You nod in your head because you know I can't sing. So, so again, well, I've got myself a T-shirt that says what I believe. I've got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I've got the necklace and the keychain, and almost everything a good Christian needs. I've got a little Bible. I've got little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door and a welcome mat to bless you before you walk across my floor. I've got a Jesus bumper sticker and the outline of a fish stuck on my car. And even though that stuff all well and good, I cannot help but ask myself, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing the change? And, and, and I want to start with that because I really, I, I love that song because he kind of catches a point there. Walking with Jesus requires a change. Paul said, to the Corinthian believers that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a what? A new creation, a new creation. So, so there's evidence. In fact, in our cardinal doctrines, in the doctrines of, of, of the church, we, we, we talk about the evidence of salvation. There are two primary evidences, if you will, of salvation. One of them is the internal evidence. And, and what does that mean? It means it means what God does radically on the inside. Listen, he changes our wanter. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't take the old me and make me better. He gives me a new nature. You know, again, Paul talks about that salvation or that conversion experience. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you have now come alive. That's what born again means. It means that we are, uh, we are enlivened by the Spirit. We come alive. What was dead now lives. And so, uh, so there's an internal witness. All of a sudden, things that we used to do, we don't really want to do anymore. Now, I know that's a process of sanctification, but the reality is it changes who we are fundamentally on the inside. I shared this, I've shared this story with you many times, but again, uh, as, a, as a teenage boy growing up in, in South Alabama there, I, I was really a bad, I was a bad kid. Uh, I was bad in school. I treated people poorly uh, and just really had a really not a very flattering reputation. And when I preached after uh, several years after I'd left off uh, into the military and, and came back, got into ministry. When I went back home, uh, my grandfather's church, the church that my, my grandfather founded, they found out I was in ministry, and they asked me to uh, preach one Sunday. And so they put on their little marquee sign, Reverend Mike Mizell, Sunday morning. And so I got there, and I preached that Sunday morning. There was a guy that met me at the back of the building. I've shared this with you before, but he met me at the back of the building. He said, are you... Mike Mizell, the, the Mike Mizell. And I was a little afraid of what the the meant. And I said, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I do have a cousin by, named Mike Mizell, by the way. So, so I, I said, uh, so you got to d- narrow that for me. I said, he said, well, did you go to Baker High School? And I said, I sure did. He said, I thought that was you. He said, my brother was in your class. And he used to tell me the things that you did. And he said, when I saw your name there, I wondered if it was the same Mike Mizell that was there at the school. And so I kind of got, you know, the sheepish grin. You know, like, yeah, yeah. It's me. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I said, you know what? No, it's not. The, I'm not the same. I said, that's who I used to be, but I'm not. I've been changed. I've been changed. And that's what that song's talking about. It's the change. So there's an internal evidence that, that changes. It changes who we are. 
But then there's also the external evidence, and that is the evidence that other people see. And if, if we don't, listen, if you have the goods, people notice it. And it's not because you have a bumper sticker or an Ithacus on the car, that's a fish, or if you, because you wear a T-shirt that says, I'm a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N, none of that. It's because there's something inside of you that causes you to behave differently than you did before. And people pay attention to that. That's the external evidence that something has happened. You know, if you, maybe in your experience, your journey of faith, somebody's come up to you and said, you know, there's something different about you. Well, that's the evidence I'm talking about. So, so again, walking with Jesus requires a change. If there's no change, there is no conversion. You can't have a conversion and remain the same, okay? I, again, I understand it's a process. We're not talking about sanctification tonight, but I understand it's a process. But if, you, if you're not changing, if your wanter doesn't change, if you don't have new desires, if your desire is not to please and to serve him, then, then you didn't have that conversion experience. Everybody in Scripture that had an encounter with Christ changed, and it was a noticeable change. Again, Paul says we are new creations, meaning that we have a new nature and, and, and this new nature will have the evidence of change. You know, when people see us, the question we have to ask, what do they see? When people see us, how we, how we engage other people, what do they see about us? What sets us apart? What sta- Again, the Bible uh, says that we're to, we're to be salt and to be light. What differentiates us from everybody else? Again, it's not that we walk six feet above everybody else and we have the, you know, we have this, uh, the chant going and the hums and stuff like that. That's not it at all. It's how we live. That is the evidence. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Again, there, there, there's a differentiation. Okay? And, and so what did they see? What did they see how we respond to those who mistreat us? What do they see in, in the teller that shorts us or the... Or the uh, the the cashier or the the fast food the fast food worker that gets the order wrong. What do they see? How do we respond to that? You know, again, it's very important that we recognize that there has to be a change. Again, I understand we're a work in progress. Okay, so I'm not talking about perfection, but at least we should be growing. We should be improving. We should, uh, you know, we should be noted as living differently than the status quo. In our text, it was noted that these men had been with Jesus. It was noted, and, and we'll get to it in a minute, but they didn't say they had been with Jesus. Other people said they'd been with Jesus. Uh, let me read this verse out of the voice translation. I thought it was pretty cool. It says, Now the leaders were surprised and confused. They looked at Peter and John and realized that they were typical peasants, uneducated, utterly ordinary fellows with extraordinary confidence. The, the leaders recognized them as companions of Jesus. That's a good rendering. I like that. They recognize them as typical peasants. Typical peasants, uneducated, utterly ordinary. Aren't you glad God uses utterly ordinary fellows? That's what he's doing right here. So, so here's what we have. This is, this is what we have in this text. The Jewish leaders, okay, are astonished by the boldness of Peter and John. The second thing is they, they weren't impressed by their background. They looked at them and said, they're peasants. They're just typical, uneducated, ignorant peasants. They were not impressed with them. And the third thing is they realized they'd been with Jesus. So that's the progression of this text. This morning. So how did they know this? I mean, that, that's the thing that intrigued me about this verse. How did they know that they'd been with Jesus? Uh, again, it wasn't their degrees, okay? They didn't have... Uh, they didn't have any formal religious training. It wasn't in their credentials because they didn't have any. It wasn't in their religious heritage because they did not have a, a religious heritage. It came down to one simple truth, and that is this. Being with Jesus produced a spirit-filled boldness. That's how they knew that they'd been with Jesus. Get that again. Being with Jesus, pardon me, produced a spirit-filled boldness. And that right there told them, these men have been with Jesus. Now, the context of this passage, if, if, if you want the context to set it up, stems from Peter and John, who, remember, they were going to church, an ordinary event in their ordinary day, in their ordinary life, typical peasant life. They're going to church, and on their way to church, they 
come across a man who no doubt had been there for a long time, probably during the time that Jesus even walked by. And this is the day that changed his life and ultimately changed their life. So as they're walking there, the Bible says they find this lame man who's begging. And you know the story. Acts 3 tells the story. When the crowd gathers, okay, so Peter, Peter looks at them or looks at this man, and, and the Bible says he fixed his eyes on him. <laughs> My little granddaughter, Emmy, she does this. She'll look at me and she'll go. <laughs> so, so the Bible says Peter fixed his eyes on him. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I will give to you. And then he proceeded to say in the name of Jesus, get up, take up your mat, rise and walk. And so the crowd gathers, okay, the crowd gathers. Peter, impetuous Peter, seizes the moment and he preaches a gospel message. You can read that in verses 11 through 26 of chapter 3. So, so he's preaching this message and you know what happens? They arrest him. They arrest him and John, and they throw him in the jail. Now, Peter addresses the religious leaders in, verse, in chapter 4, 1 through 12, and in thinking about what he said, it, it, I, I think it helps to remember one key fact. You've got to remember that he is standing in front of the people who killed Jesus. You got, you, that, that sets that whole thing up. That's what pointed out to the religious leaders that these men had been with Jesus because these are the very ones that, that conspired to kill Jesus a few weeks earlier. Notice, when you read that, notice the clarity in which Peter uh, identifies their guilt. He, he said, Jesus, whom you crucified. I mean, he wasn't bashful. He wasn't, he wasn't pulling any punches. He wasn't mincing words. He just simply said, Jesus, whom you crucified. And then he says, Jesus, who God raised. That's the gospel. He died, and he was resurrected. He arose. And then he goes on and says in verse 12 that there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, we've all heard this, the saying that a crisis never made a man. It only reveals what he already is. How many, how many have, would, would say that's probably pretty accurate? A crisis never makes a man. It only reveals what's already on the inside. And in this case, the crisis of their arrest revealed the truth about Peter and John after being filled with the Spirit. And again, this is an important distinction. After they were filled with the Spirit, okay, in Acts chapter 2, it altered them. If you look at the same Peter before Acts 2 experience, he was wishy-washy at best. He was up one minute. He was down one minute. He was flying off at the handle one minute. He was running his mouth when he shouldn't have been running his mouth. I mean, he was making all kinds of boastful things. And then when it came right down to it, when the, when the, when, when the chips were, you know, the, when, when it really counted to be with Jesus, he chose to deny that he even knew him. Yeah, you're one of those. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Even cursing. That's Peter. He didn't have the backbone of a jellyfish. And yet, after Acts 2, we find him standing in front of the very men who crucified Jesus and said, you did this. You crucified him, and God raised him up. Again, he didn't have a backbone then, but he's unmovable now. That's what gave them the thought that this man, these men, have been, see, the religious leaders couldn't figure them out. I, I mean, there, there, there's no way they could have denied the healing, so that, that wouldn't work. There's no way they could deny the healing. There were too many witnesses, and they could not deny their boldness because they're experiencing it firsthand. I mean, Peter's standing there preaching the message, and I, I like to envision him taking his finger, his, his hardened, you know, I, I think of him being a big burly man. That's just the way I pictured Peter. Maybe I watched too many uh, Ten Commandments, or not Ten Commandments, he wasn't there. <laughs> too many of the Jesus movies, uh, you know, being a big tough fisherman that he was. I, I just kind of think he had big hands and and, you know, I have these little short, stubby fingers, and I think he had big, flowing hands that could, that could just wrap around. And, just, and, and I could see him po poking that finger and said, you did this. You crucified Jesus. They're experiencing So they can't deny his boldness. So how do they explain these men? How could these uneducated, ordinary fellows make such an impact that they're making right now? Being arrested didn't, and, and another thing, being arrested didn't intimidate them. 
I mean, they, they, they were hauled off to jail, and you would think that that would be an intimidation factor that people would say, you know what, if you just get me out, if, I, I promise I won't preach again, I won't witness again, I won't share my faith again if you just get me out of this. Not them. Didn't phase them. They weren't intimidated by being put in jail. They spoke freely and with great boldness. So what was their secret? When the religious leaders considered all of the facts, they came to one simple conclusion. They had been with Jesus. I don't know that there's much more powerful, a much more powerful statement for someone to make than to look at our lives and say, they have been with Jesus. Again, not because, you know, I, I, I haven't said, going to, going to restaurants after service, services on Sunday and listening to people talk is an interesting thing. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about hearing people talk about, you know, I mean, how many understand, with, with restaurants being as crowded as they are, you can overhear conversations. I'm not suggesting that you go snooping. <laughs> but if you're sitting there between uh, your order and your, and your wait time, you're, you're listening to conversations, and, and there are people talking about their church experiences. And it's, it's, I'm not going to share any stories, but it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting dynamic to think about it. Because a lot of things that we measure, uh, the the I, I want to say efficacy, but I'm, you know I'm thinking in medical terms there. We want to measure our services by how many people ran around the building, how many people swung from the chandelier, how many people did carpet time, how many people did this, and that seems to be. And how long did we stay in service? You know, it used to be a claim to fame that oh man, man, we didn't get out of church till twelve forty-five. And they and and please, I'm not. I'm not ridiculing, I'm not knocking it, okay? I, I'm just saying that we, we use the matrix of extended service times. I, I love David Wilkerson, uh, the late David Wilkerson. He, he spoke at our district council one time, and, and it was at the height of the Brownsville Revival back in, I think he was with us in 1990, I won't say 90, probably 98, maybe, 99. And it was at the height of the Brownsville Revival. One of the things noted about the Brownsville Revival, I went down in 97, is that people started lining up usually before lunchtime, and the doors didn't open until 7 o'clock that night. So by the time 7 o'clock rolled around, the building had been circled maybe once, maybe twice to get in to the service. It was, just, and I mean, they had pizza. I mean, people would be ordering uh, pizza in line to go to church, and they would drive up, delivery drivers would drive up, and you'd have your pizza, and you'd just eat there in the parking lot sitting on the ground waiting for the doors to open up, and then the service would start. And great, Steve Hill, just a fantastic preacher, just a just wonderful experience, and they would go, you know, service would go maybe from 7 to about 10, 10.30, and then they'd start praying with people. Anybody want a prayer? And so you have 3,000 people in a building. Everybody wants to be hands laid on, so you're going to about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and, and so that's kind of the atmosphere. So David Wilkerson comes, and he preaches powerfully at our district council, and he gives an altar call. And there are people that go to the altar, and there are people that are lingering before the Lord, and they're praying. And, and he gets up, and he walks up, you know, after a few minutes, probably 15, 20 minutes time, and he gets up, and he takes the, the, the microphone. He says, okay, now let's stand to be dismissed. And apparently he heard this gasp that swept across this massive uh, Calvary Temple there in Irving, this massive church house, that, you mean, we've only been here 20 minutes. What are you doing? And he said this. He said, it doesn't take God all night. He said, if you came down here with, a, with sincerity and seeking heart, it doesn't take God all night. And I thought, wow. Wow. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying don't tarry. The Bible says wait on. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just simply saying if that's what we measure, the effectiveness of our services is about how long it went and how how many people did this and how many did that? Then that's the wrong matrix. How many people were born again? How many people were, were, were set free from captivity? How many were delivered from oppression? Those are things. Again, the note was they had been with Jesus. Now, this is a power, powerful truth that we need to grab hold of in these dark times that we live in. All around us, we see the signs of diminishing impact of Christianity on our culture. How many believe that? We do not see the impact of Christianity in our culture today. Salt is a, it's a preservative, it's a flavoring, uh, it, it's an irritant, it has evidence. If you eat a meal that doesn't have salt, you know the salt's not there. Where's the evidence in our culture that the church of Jesus Christ 
is alive and well and firmly rooted in the doctrines of Scripture. We don't see that. All around us, we see the opposite. We see church denominations that are splitting over the inaccuracy and the authenticity of the Word of God. We see, we, we, we see the, the debates and the divisions about, about cultural things. Should we ordain this type of person? Or should we, again, it's just happening. So that's what we see. You know, we lament the advance of secularism as we watch the implosion of social institutions that have stood in place for thousands of years. And it's falling apart before our eyes. We wonder why Christians have lost her influence on society. Well, I think this scripture gives us a very clear answer. See, the early Christians turned the, uh, the world upside down because they had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. It so altered them that they were never the same again. Even after the resurrection of Christ, they go there, they go, you know, when, when Jesus was crucified, there, there, was a, there was a period of time where the disciples gathered behind closed doors, as John said. They, uh, even Peter, you know, Peter, remember what Peter was going to do? He said, I'm going fishing. What was he saying? I'm going, I, I, you know, I, I relate to Peter because I want to go fishing. <laughs> but, but Peter says, I'm going back to life as normal. I took three years off from my, 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 my job, my business, to follow Jesus. He died. I'm going fishing. I'm going back. But when Jesus showed up that day, when they're out fishing, got the fire ready, ready to grill some fish, Peter was altered, and he was never the same. It changed him. See, again, the early Christians turned the world upside down because they had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. That single fact explains the boldness of the first generation of believers who took the gospel from Jerusalem across the Roman Empire. They would not fit into the ordinary category of our religion today. See, to them, it was more than just accumulation of facts and statistics. It was, a more, it was more than a few prayers and a religious hobby to dabble in. When I have time, I'll do it. And if I don't have time, well, then I'll just let it slide. It was more than that. It was something that produced a dynamic power that transformed ordinary men into bold witnesses for Christ. That was the evidence. Again, it had nothing to do with a degree on the wall from a school or a seminary. So it leads me to an important conclusion, and that is this. It's dangerous to be around Jesus and not be with him. It's dangerous to be around him but not with him. See, being around Jesus and being with Jesus, there's a difference. Being around Christians and being with Jesus, there's a difference. Being around Christian events and being with Jesus is different. Being around the church and being with Jesus is different. What about the evidence? See, the disciples had been with Jesus. They knew him intimately, and that changed everything. I think the message to the modern church is go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And that love, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, compels us to change. We want flowery sermons and eloquence from the pulpit. What about the change? What about the difference? I mean, even their enemies could see the difference that Christ had made in their lives. It made such a difference that they noted that they'd been with Jesus. We might call this the the doctrine of unconscious influence. And what that simply means is we don't know what others know about us, <laughs> right? We don't know what others know about us. I promise you that you are being watched every single day of your life. Now, I'm not talking Orwellian big brother. That's true, too. You know? <laughs> I'm just wanting to encourage you. I don't want to make you paranoid. I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> but you're being watched. People are paying attention. Some of you might remember back in the 90s when Cleburne was, there was a move to try to go wet here and allow private clubs here in Cleburne. And I got called up in, in, in that trying to speak for righteousness. 
and I got a phone call. You know, that was a couple. There was a couple times in those two years there, a year and a half or two years. I had a couple death threats. People called, left. That's when we had messages. <laughs> Our message phone, what answering machines? Had a couple death threats. Uh, then I had one that called me, and he said he got mad because I was at a, a city council, and I made a presentation, uh, factual presentation, and uh, he called me. And he said, "Hey, preacher," he said. I just want to have. I just want to know where did you have lunch on such and such a date? Now, listen. If somebody asks you a very specific question, they already know the answer. So you better not tell a. a I'm not going to say fib. You better not lie to them. And I said, okay. So that let's see. That would, that's in Fort Worth. So I would have been. I I, I thought. And I, he said you was with your wife. I said, okay. So it must have been here. And he said, yep. I said, okay. He said, I saw you. I said, okay, so what was I doing? You're eating with your wife. I said, okay. And then he goes on to say, well, isn't that kind of hypocritical because the restaurant that you were, you were patron, uh, patronizing served alcohol. I said, well, can you tell me one restaurant in Fort Worth that doesn't? But, but, but my point being is this. People are watching. They're watching. When you, when you call yourself a believer, and I, again, I want to, if, if you identify as a believer, they're going to they're watch you. They're going to see how you respond. If that, if that waitress messes up your order, how do you respond? Do you, do you slam things down? Do you leave no tip? Do you yell at her? Call her stupid? Or him? Hey, I've seen that. Those are things I've seen. Do you do that? Oftentimes, we're not good judges of our own influence. Other people see things about us that we don't even see ourselves. Again, this verse, this verse as I said earlier, doesn't say that Peter John announced himself, said, hey, we've been with Jesus. They didn't say it. They didn't have to. Again, the Jewish leaders were not impressed by Peter and John, but they were, they were in for a big surprise. See, what, I mean, think about it. What chance do these uneducated fishermen in the presence of a whole learned college of rabbinical men, what chance did they have? Standing in front of the, it'd be like a, it'd be like a middle schooler going to stand up in, a, in front of a, doc, a doctoral uh, thesis committee and trying to, what chance do you have? Yet the rabbis were made to look foolish by these, men, these fishermen and they won this mighty triumph that, they, that even the best philosophers would have envied. What was different about them? Well, again, you've got to understand, Peter and John weren't looking for a confrontation. I, I think Christians have to be careful. We don't go out seeking confrontation. They weren't looking for a confrontation. They, they, had just, they were just going to the temple to pray like they had been doing for a long time. They weren't going specifically, specifically to to perform a miracle. They weren't going to preach. They certainly weren't going to get arrested. They were just going to pray. You know what that is? That's ordinary obedience. Isn't it amazing how often God works through just ordinary obedience? That's all they were doing is on their way to do what they were taught to do, to pray, to be in the presence of the Lord. See, it happens when honorable men do the right thing and sometimes doing the right thing will get you in trouble. Sometimes it'll get you in trouble. They were doing what Christians should always do. Peter said this, they were ready to give an answer for the hope that was within them. 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, they hadn't prepared. They didn't sit down for the week ahead and prepare a message to give to the Sanhedrin. They, they didn't do that. They, they just simply were going to pray. And they did a miracle. They preached the gospel. They got arrested. And now they said, you did this. They were ready to give an answer. They gave, they gave an answer, and guess what? It got them in trouble. So I like this. At verse 2 of chapter 4 gives the very reason that got them in trouble. Here, 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 here's what it says. I, I love this rendering. Verse 2, it says that the Jewish leaders, listen to this, were greatly annoyed greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in, in Jesus, uh, they were claiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were annoyed. 
That's what set them off. That's what ticked them off. Is that these men were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. They simply told the truth. Peter said, you crucified Jesus and God raised him from the dead. That's bold. That's powerful. Very courageous. It's just ordinary obedience. Just ordinary obedience. Verse number four. Many of those who heard the word believed, listen to this, believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. They prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, and 5,000 people got saved. We pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and hope somebody gets saved. whole lot different. Notice the sequence of events. Obedience, miracle, preaching, thousands saved, jailed, <laughs> boldness under pressure. No wonder the enemy said these men have been with Jesus. Shaky Peter becomes solid rock Peter, Petros. When Christ commandeers a life, the change is, is going to be evident for everybody to see. That's what we are to live for. Again, we're not better than anybody else. We've been saved by grace, washed in the blood of Jesus. We are set apart unto his service, different. Not better than anybody, just different. John Woodhouse says this, there's something in the conduct, disposition, and countenance of a good man that reports itself. His influence is felt in the world, the church, and the family circle. A divine life cannot be concealed. The light must shine. Isn't that good? We sing that song about don't let Satan it out. This little light of mine won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Hide in under a bush. What do kids say? No. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. That's the point. You can't contain the light. You got to let it shine. These leaders, I got to hurry up. I talk too much. <laughs> Though these leaders hated what Peter said, they could not deny what Christ had done in them. Couldn't deny it. Even their enemies knew, enemies knew that Peter and John had been with Jesus. No higher compliment could be paid to a child of God. And as we think about it, so, so let me close this out. Let me try to, next few moments, bring this down. How do we apply that to where we are? Well, number one, here's the question. What is the evidence of being with Jesus? Okay, if we're going to talk about the evidence, what is the evidence? I mean, obviously, we want something, we want something that Jesus had to rub off on us. The character the integrity of Jesus, we want to, so, so what does that look like? Well, I, I don't know that there's any better verse than John 1, 14 that says Jesus was full of grace and truth. I don't know you can prove on that. What was it about Jesus? He was full of grace and truth. I think that's a pretty good indicator of what it's like to be like Jesus. See, anybody can be truthful some of the time and loving some of the time, but when you look at Jesus, he was filled to overflowing with truth and grace. He spoke truth with grace. He showed grace in truth. Jesus never had to choose between grace and truth. He was full, overflowing with truth and grace. Those who follow him will have grace and truth rub off on them. That, that points to a life that's been marked by humility, honesty, approachability, kindness under pressure, and truth-telling, even when it would be easier to tell a lie. I saw a survey some years ago that asked people if it was ever, uh, did they believe that it, would be, that it was appropriate at, at times to tell a lie. And I think the percentage was somewhere in the 70 percentile that it was okay to tell a lie if you needed to. It's probably worse than that nowadays. <laughs> but that's the nature. Uh, again, it, 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 a life that carries this aroma, this is, this is the aroma of heaven. This is the aroma of heaven right here. Uh, again, I heard it said many years ago about a certain leader that whenever, he, whenever they entered the room, they felt a little bit closer to heaven. I've known people like that. Maybe you have as well, that there are just certain people that have this walk with the Lord, and when they walk in, you just feel closer to God. You feel closer to heaven because there's something about them. They, 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 they're full and overflowing of truth and grace. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about here. Uh, what is the evidence of, of, of uh, again, of, of being with Jesus, being filled with truth and grace? 
a man or woman filled with truth and grace draws you closer to the Lord, whether you're talking or listening or laughing or crying, it doesn't matter because you're just around them and because they're, they're overflowing with it, you just naturally want more. Number two, how does this develop? How do we, how do we, fill, how do we fill ourselves up with this, with this truth and grace? Well, here's the thing. This type of life comes about mostly through people in pain. <laughs> people in pain. That's it. Not, not in pain and pain. I mean, think about all the Christians that you know and that we know. The ones that I remember most in my, my journey all these years have been those who have gone through some terrible things and they've come out singing. Some that I've known that have been punched in the gut so hard that it would, it would, it would, it would crush a normal individual, but they, they, they got back up and they kept on singing. That's, that's what I'm talking about. The best Christians I know have proved the truthfulness of Job 23.10. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Listen, there are no shortcuts to a life tested of tested gold. There, there are no shortcuts. You've got to go through the furnace so that God can refine the gold of, of, of testing our character. That, that's just it. There's no other way around it. Until then, it's all theory. After the furnace, you know from experience the power of Christ to deliver us through it all. It's kind of like somebody writing a book, how to parent children that have no children. Let me suggest, don't ever buy a book from somebody that's espousing something they never experienced. Because when you go through the fire and you experience it, there's something about it. There's something about knowing the God who is always there, an ever-present help in times of trouble, the fourth man in the fire. There's something about knowing him personally and experiencing that. And you can't shortcut that. You can't shortcut that. See, the world knows nothing about this. They, they don't understand it. They can't duplicate it. Again, John Woodhouse, here's the way he put it. He said, there is a wide difference between a Christian and a worldly man in times of trouble. How many would believe that? Listen, in my over 30 years of ministry, I've officiated many, many funerals, and I've been to those. Fortunately, most of them have been believers, and it's been, I'm not going to say easy, but it's been easier to do that than it has to do those for non-believers. What hope do you offer those who have, no, who have no hope? What do you say to encourage someone who's not a believer? There's nothing that you can say. There is a vast difference between a Christian and a worldly man in times of trouble. I mean, the worldly man is timid, irritable, and restless. The Christian man, if he's anchored in his faith in Christ, he is calm, he's courageous, and he's hopeful. I can tell you from personal experience, walking through my wife's health issues and that initial stroke in 2012 and to where she is today, I can tell you that walking with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. I still don't understand it. I still have questions, but you know what? I'm at total peace because I trust him. I trust him. Nothing can calm and strengthen a man more than the full assurance of God's protection. As Spurgeon said, I love what Charles Spurgeon said, any fool can sing in the sunlight. Any fool can sing in the sunlight. What will you do when you lose your job or your son's in jail or your marriage collapse, collapses or the church splits or, or their cancer returns or your best friend betrays you? What do you do when you're thrown into jail because of your faith? It's a different story. If you're Peter and John, you know what you do? <laughs> you preach Jesus. You preach Jesus. It's costly, but when trouble comes, even your enemies can see the difference that Christ has made in our lives. And that's why I, I, I've always prayed since 2012, Lord, help me to bear this, whatever you want to call it, this journey that, I, that we're on. Let me bear it with integrity and with honor so that I can bring glory to you. Help me to reflect my confidence in who you are. Does it mean I don't hurt at times? No. There's still times I still cry myself to sleep. I mean, I'm not saying that for, to elicit anything from you. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, I'm sure that there are times that you, we all have things that go on and that we, we don't understand it and we try to wrap our brains around it. And we just can't. But if you're settled in who he is, then you're going to be okay. When he has tried and tested us, I will come out as pure gold. 
Some years ago, some of you remember we did that series, I Am In, from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. We did a series on a Wednesday night, and it was a very relevant, very timely, because it was uh, Bible lessons taken out of the Middle East of these uh, Muslims that are being converted at an incredible rate of speed right now, just an incredible number being converted to Christ every single day at the risk of their lives. And in a Muslim country, if you convert, they come and if you own a business or even your home, they come in and they paint the Arabic letter for Nassan on your business or they imprison you or kill you. And we watched video testimony of uh, many of those people that had experienced that. And, and it, it's just amazing to me to listen to them talk about, I mean, how about the, uh, the, the, uh, those in India? I mean, we, we've seen the Hindus in India uh, and in North Korea and all over the world. We've seen people that have, that have persecuted relentlessly Christians, the Coptic Christians in Egypt. And you know what the interesting thing is if you talk to most of the pastors, they will say something like this, I pray, Lord, I pray that God would forgive them for what they're doing. I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I could pray that prayer. I don't know that I could pray that prayer. I might be, I, I, again, I, my, my flesh, I, I, that would be hard. But these men have settled it in their heart, full of grace and truth. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So where should we begin? As I got I got to close. In 1855, Charles Spurgeon preached the message out of the same text entitled "Christ's People, Imitators of Him." And in this sermon, he covers the why and the where, becoming more like Jesus, more like Christ. In his last section of his sermon, he uh, he urges those who are listening and reading his sermon uh, to know Christ personally and to seek to be like Him. And, and then he adds one more thing, and here's what he says. He said, lastly, as the best advice I can give, seek more of the Spirit of God, for this is the way to become Christ-like. Vain are all your attempts to be like Him till you have sought His Spirit. Think about that. He's simply saying this. If you want to be Christ-like, you have to seek after Him. No matter what else you do, if you're not seeking Him, you'll never be like Him. You'll never be like Him. He goes on, he says, so take your heart, not as cold as it is, not stony as it is by nature, but put it into the furnace, let, there let it be molten, and after that it can be turned like wax to the seal and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is place yourself. And, and you know what? If we want to be more like, like Christ, we have to seek the spirit of Christ. We, we, cannot, we cannot become Christ-like by accident. It doesn't happen. You, don't, you just don't fall into it. It doesn't happen by osmosis. <laughs> you know, sitting there with your feet crossed and your fingers going, mm. doesn't happen like that. The evidence of being, a Jesus, being with Jesus is manifested as we are transformed into his likeness. It's kind of like what I preached on Sunday. It's that pliable, that pliable clay in the hands of a master potter. That's that's, how, that's what it takes. It's saying, here I am, Lord, formless, invaluable, without purpose, but your touch will make me valuable. Your touch will give me purpose, so mold me as you want me to. Again, this pro- process is painful and uncomfortable, but his work must continue to get us where he wants us to be. I close with this. Spurgeon came to the end of his sermon, and he concluded that, if we, have, if, we have been, if we have been like Christ on earth, then we will be like him in heaven. And he goes on and he imagines, he imagines an angel at the gate waiting to admit those in, not because they have the right credential in their hand, but because when they appear, they look just like him. I thought that was a good way of looking at it. And the angel turns away a man with a crown of earthly greatness for a man who simply looks like Jesus. None of that matters at the gates of heaven. Only is, are you like him? And I'm going to read this last quote. I promise I'm closing. Spurgeon answers this way. Here's what he says. He said, then there appears another, 
Poor he may have been, illiterate he may have been, but the angel, as he looks at him, smiles and says, it is Christ again. A second edition of Jesus Christ is there. Come in, come in. Eternal glory thou shalt win. Thou art like Christ. In heaven thou shalt sit because thou art like him. That's our calling. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? When people look at us, where is the evidence that we've had an encounter with Jesus? Because there will be evidence. There will be evidence. I'm afraid that we live in a time of easy believism today where if we were to go to court and be be tried for being a Christian, for many, many believers, there would be no evidence. There would not be enough evidence to convict us. And that's a sad commentary. The church over the last, what, 40 years, maybe 50 years, has allowed the sin of the world to become the sin of the church. We don't blush anymore. We don't blush anymore. God, help us to be like you. So this is our challenge, our calling, and our prayer. May Christ be seen in us. May the Holy Spirit fill us with grace and truth. May the whole world know by the way that we live that we have been with Jesus. Would you stand with me tonight? Again, if you've never heard that song, it's a, it's a powerful song. There's another verse to it that, uh, that's equally as good. What about the change? Do we have all the emblems of Christianity? Do we have the, the crosses and the stickers and the mugs and bracelets and all that stuff? But what about the change and what about the difference? Because if we know Jesus, he makes all the difference in our lives. He changes us. I want you to bow with me, please, all across the building tonight as we close in prayer. If you're online tonight, let me just ask you, what about the evidence? Do you have evidence that you've been with Jesus? Does your life shine in this dark world that gives people hope? See, for Peter and John, the Bible says they were prepared to give an answer. When they were were called upon, they gave an answer for their hope, and they preached the gospel. They were bold, and they were very courageous. They did not back down. They didn't go searching for a fight. They didn't go for a confrontation. But when confronted for the claims of Christ, they stood up and they spoke. What I'm saying tonight is, God, help us to be with you and let people know notice because there's a change in us. But nobody looking around or maybe online tonight, if you'll just comment, we want to pray with you. Maybe they're, you're here tonight. Say, you know what, Pastor, I want to be more like Jesus. Again, I think we're all a work in progress. and So maybe you're here and say, you know what, I still have a temper issue. I need Jesus. I want Jesus to help me. I still kind of fly off. I'm still very sarcastic at times. I still, I still run, run, run my mouth when I probably shouldn't run my mouth. I'm not very kind to some people. I just, I, I just want to be more like Jesus. Nobody look around. If that's you, just slip in right, right back down. I want to pray tonight. Amen. How about you online tonight? I want to pray for you as well. Listen, whatever you need, he's able to supply. Father, I pray right now for each and every person here. I pray for those especially that raise their hand. I pray for those that are online tonight. Lord, we need to think about that. What about the evidence? What about that change? Again, it's not because we have the the emblems of faith. It's because we have the heart of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek the Spirit of Christ. Lord, help us to spend time with you. Lord, that's really where the change comes from. By spending time with you, we, we become, Lord, it's what the scripture says. You said bad company corrupts good morals. Whom we spend time with has a way of rubbing off on us. So if we want to be more like you, let us spend more time with you in our, our devotions and our prayer time and our spiritual disciplines. Lord, help us to produce the evidence. Lord, we live in a very conflicted world right now. Darkness is encroaching all around us. You are the light, and you've called us to shine as light. So, Lord, help us to to reflect that light. Lord, I ask you to give us that heart, Lord, to be different, to be strong, to be courageous, to be firmly rooted in who you are. Father, I ask you to go with us tonight and give us a wonderful, restful night. And, Lord, tomorrow as we prepare for another food distribution, Lord, I pray for all the workers, and I pray for all the the recipients of 
of, of, of the food, Lord, just I pray blessings upon each and every one. And I pray, God, that you would, if you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive your word, ask you to bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need, a, that need an encounter with you. Even now, ordain what you're going to do. Speak blessings over each person here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. We all set. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.